welcome to New Life Preaching Podcast, where we stream our sermons from each Lord's Day. In this series, entitled The Household of God, we begin our study of the first epistle of Peter, where he seeks to encourage Christians who are scattered among pagan nations. Join us each Lord's Day so that you don't miss a single sermon. So this morning we're continuing in our study in 1 Peter. It's one of the blessings that we get whenever we just walk through a book of the Bible. God is faithful to address every concern. He's he's faithful to uh, bring out elements of our faith in a timely way. This morning I think is no different. We're picking up in our study if there was a title, it's to be holy as God is holy. Perhaps it's good for us to recap a little bit and remember the way Peter is writing to the scattered and persecuted church. He's reminding them of their salvation that's actively accomplished by the triune God. He's reminded us of the unfading inheritance that we have in Christ. He's reminded the Christian of their joy that pervades every circumstance. He has showcased the wonderful grace that was delivered through the prophets on our behalf who came even after the prophets were gone. The sheer weight of God's mercy and His grace and His love as shown through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it produces in us a humility and a soberness. It's a soberness that moves us to pursue holiness as Christ Himself achieved. Uh, It's one of the things that we celebrate, Christ being born sinless of Uh, born of Mary the Virgin, born of God Himself. So we must not forget Peter's introduction regarding the way that God the Father has caused us to be born again to this living hope. And yet now, Peter turns to this application of living holy as part of this living hope that is in Christ Jesus. And so I will be reading verses 13 through 16. And we'll begin studying, and so I invite you, if you've had an opportunity to turn there in your copy of God's Word, to stand so that we may honor the reading of it. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Father, we come to you this morning, and Lord, we come to you in repentance and in faith. 
Lord, we ask that today our hearts are truly centered on Christ. Celebrating not just the occurrence of his birth, but the purpose for which he came. Father, we pray that it's true of us here today that we would live in light of the salvation that you have offered in Christ Jesus. Lord, that you would bless us for our gathering, that you would equip us for every good work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. You know, it's a blessing that we should come to a passage such as this during Christmas time, whenever we are this very morning celebrating the incarnation of the Son of God, the first coming, God in the flesh. The, the words promised in the Old Testament was Emmanuel, God with us. And already we've seen even in Peter's letter this pattern of him saying over and again uh, this emphasis on the revelation of Jesus Christ, the time to be revealed, that which is guarded for you at his coming or the appearing of Jesus Christ, the salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In our passage this morning, Peter says we are to set our hope on the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so the first point before us this morning is to set your hope on grace. That is what we read in the second part of verse 13. We hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work that no man may boast. Isn't that what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2? Even as Peter moves to exhort his audience to holy living, he hinges us on this grace of God. He includes two somewhat conditional statements here that may or may not be read with such clarity uh, depending on your translation. Where we began in verse 13, the King James that I read from says and has the most literal reading, gird up the loins of your mind. We don't often speak that way, uh, but we know what he means is that you should prepare your minds for action. The girding up of the loins is that which we read in times of battle. However, where this reading falls short is the participial nature of these clauses, the way that they're not to be read as commands but the Greek reads these as conditional clauses. The literal reading would be something like this, having girded up the loins of your minds and being sober-minded or in spirit. 
So there these clauses, they're, they're to be interpreted as something that is already being done. And so we want to look at those in part. If you're following along in the bulletin, we set our, our hope on grace and having prepared our minds. We could finish that statement for action. In essence, we should understand Peter is assuming that Christians have already been engaged in this preparation of our minds. We would, he would have understood us already to have girded up the loins of our mind. As Paul puts it in his letter to the Romans, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. In Peter's case, the letter we're reading from, he's ensured this by his own writing. He's already drawn his reader along uh, to the wealth of God's grace, his promises, and his Christ. Christian, the way that you prepare your mind is to fixate on Christ. We seek to know Him, to love Him, to follow Him. Isn't that what we just read last week? Peter wrote to us, and Chris, as he preached, read to us, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. The way in which our minds are prepared is to fixate on Christ, what Peter has to tell us about being holy is to hammer this in to our minds this morning to make us certain that our hope is in Christ. What does Colossians say? Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are in the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. In God. The second clause is like the first. Our minds have been prepared for action, and so we are actively being sober minded. We know what sober means our thoughts are controlled, our emotions are in check, our thinking is clear and decisive. Our tone is serious. Now we've all benefited from the well-timed joke and we've all enjoyed uh, the time of laughing and fellowship around small worldly pleasures. That's, that's okay. But for some, they leave no room for serious matters. Some here are especially quick-witted and and we have a knack for making people laugh. Eternity is no such matter. As we celebrate the incarnation of Christ this Christmas morning, have you forgotten the seriousness of the matter? 
It was not a laughing matter when Mary was told that she would bear the Son of the Most High God. It was no joke that the Christ would come after 400 years of silence through the prophets. It was not comical whenever Herod commanded the murder of every male child to thwart the coming of a new king. It was more than a Kodak moment when the young Jesus stupefied the wisdom of the priests. And it wasn't practical when Jesus turned away the 5,000. It was not winsome when he died on the cross. Be sober, church. Be sober-minded. The imperative of this passage, the command of this passage comes in Peter's words to hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you. Hope. Literally, it should be rendered your hope, set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you. Not to hope um, passively or expectantly, but to set our hope firmly on the grace that's been shown and that Peter has already done well to describe to us. The revelation of Jesus Christ speaks of his return. Now we've received the grace but there's some way in which this work will be brought to its full completion. The work of God in our redemption is just as dependent on His grace at its completion as it is at the start of our justification. Whenever we first believe in Christ, it is by grace, like we read in Ephesians chapter 2 or like I referenced, and so it is set on grace as we await for his return. This tempers our conversation to realize our obedience is not simply cold behavioralism, but it is a response to relationship. Set your hope on these things that God has done on your behalf, this relationship that He has drawn you into, that He is keeping, this inheritance that He keeps, and God Himself guarding you. Remember all of this that Peter has written to us. It's been prophesied about for all of this time. Prophets serving you and not themselves. All of that is in this first chapter. He tells us behave as obedient children. As obedient children. As a Christian, you're a child of God. It may be important to just give this caveat. Everyone in the image of God is not a child of God. A 
according to the language of the Scripture. You as a believer are a child, something different, something set apart. You have been adopted and grafted in. John writes this in his gospel to those who did receive him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to be called children of God who are born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. As his children were called to behave as obedient children, not as disobedient children. Look, I think all of us here know the plight of the parent of disobedient children. Children here, I would venture to say, know what a disobedient child looks like. Uh, maybe you have seen the one throwing a tantrum in the store who demands of their parent what they want, but who gives no regard or effort to walk as their parent has commanded. Sure, we all know what that looks like. Hopefully none of you have behaved as this disobedient child. I'm talking to the children and to the adults here. In fact, many of us have played this role. Many of our youngest children have sense enough to say, that little boy or girl needs a spanking. It's obvious. We know what the disobedient child uh, looks like. So no, we're called to behave. We're called to behave as obedient children. And the reason for this is because our relationship has changed. Our relationship before God is different. We are no longer ignorant of God. We're no longer ignorant of Christ. We have this word and we have his spirit. We have prepared our minds for action. So then our relationship has changed before God. Listen, whenever we think of this, and especially this morning of all mornings as we celebrate the coming of Christ, all of history has started over. Last I checked, every pagan nation proclaims this as the year 2022 A.D., which is Latin for Anno Domini, the day of our Lord. It is undeniable. This incarnation of Christ, this beginning of a new ministry has shaped the earth. It has shaken the world on its foundation. Even pagans acknowledge time from the profound events that surrounded the life of Christ. Perhaps you remember the conversation of the risen Lord on the road to the Emmaus whenever he was talking with the disciples who, whose eyes were covered from knowing who it was. What was their response? 
Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem that doesn't know what has happened? There are these events that have taken place that have changed everything. The one mighty in word and deed, this prophet of God. What's more now they're saying he's raised. He's conquered death. This ministry of Christ has changed everything. It has altered the course of history. It has changed the relationship between God and man. Things would be different now. How would man now relate to God? How would man now rightly worship God after the veil to the temple was torn? What did this resurrection of Christ in the flesh teach us about the redemptive plan of God? Well, it changed things. The life and the teaching of Jesus open the scriptures to us that we might understand this plan of redemption all the more. Therefore, we come to God in faithfulness. We no longer behave as those ignorant of what has occurred so long ago. We no longer follow the commands as those who don't know the will of God, who haven't received the Son, who haven't experienced the love of God in Jesus Christ. We do not act as if we have had as if we have not heard the promises of what still yet lie ahead. No, we behave as obedient children. Our desire is to please God and to be holy. Peter tells us that we behave as obedient children, not according to our former lusts and our ignorance, but as he who called us is holy. We also are holy. Be holy as God is holy. Now the passage Peter quotes from likely comes from Leviticus 11.44. But this presents us with both a continuity of the scripture. We saw before how something has changed. There's a discontinuity. There's something different. There's something more in what Christ has now brought before us. And yet there's a continuity. A way in which all of this is one and the same. The plan of redemption is not different from what God had planned before. The Old Testament called believers to be holy. Now Peter is calling Christians to be holy. It's the same statement being read again. How can one be authoritative and the other not? We must see how Christ has outfitted us, the believer, with reformed lives. Transformed 
and made useful in His kingdom. We're, we are made new as we become part of this new creation that Christ brings. We've talked before, even our, our Sunday worship is, is reminiscent of this first day of the new creation. It is why we worship on Sunday. We're made new as we become part of this new creation for works that He has prepared beforehand. There's been a change in our relationship and so it brings about a change in our response. We are called to be holy. The canons of Dort outline this shift beautifully. I would like to read a few lines for you. <clears throat> At the height of the Reformation, <clears throat> they write, when God carries out His good pleasure in His chosen ones, He, by the effective operation of the same regenerating Spirit, also penetrates the inmost being of man, opens the closed heart, softens the hard heart, circumcises the heart that is uncircumcised. He infuses new qualities into the will, making the dead will alive, the evil one good, the unwilling one willing, the stubborn one compliant. He activates and strengthens the will so that like a good tree, it may be enabled to produce the fruit of good deeds. There is a transformation because of this change in relationship. The Christian is made to align wholly with God's will. His will becomes our will. His will governs our prayers. His good, acceptable, and perfect will is what we search out that we might walk in it. Like Paul writes in Romans 12, the people of God have been called to a royal priesthood, a holy nation. How can this be unless Christ makes us also holy? Are we to suppose that God sent His Son Philippians says that he took the form of a servant and was born in the likeness of men. Are we to celebrate Christmas this day seeing that Christ himself would become obedient to death, even death on a cross so that we not be changed? Absolutely not. For we are His workmanship. Christ being the firstborn among many brothers. He makes us to be like Him. Paul prays this elsewhere that God who began a good work in you would bring it to completion. 
writes in Romans and he prays as we celebrate this majesty of a child who was appointed the heir of David that from whose hand that scepter would never depart. Let us learn humility then from the humble beginnings of this incarnation. Let us learn obedience as our Savior learned obedience. Let us walk in newness of life that is granted by His resurrection. That our salvation would be full and sure. Having our share in the introduction of this very letter where Peter, where Peter writes of his own election according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of His blood. Let us be holy as Him who called us is holy. Let's pray. Father, we come to You. And Lord, we just magnify Your name. Just as our study has guided us, Lord, to praise You, Father, Son, and Spirit, for all that You have accomplished on our behalf. Lord, we pray that we would be a church fully in awe of the work that You have done. Lord, that we would stand amazed at the incarnation. And yet, Father, that we would learn obedience as so many quickly did in submitting themselves to this plan of redemption beginning with Mary herself. Father, I pray that this morning we wouldn't find ourselves worshiping merely a child, but who one who but one who's already undergone this process of obedience, this process of, of uh, Lord atonement resurrection Lord that we find ourselves worshiping one who who is seated on his throne but Lord who did come in the flesh who was raised in the flesh and who will return in the flesh to grant us glorified bodies that will live eternally in obedience to him Lord, this is our prayer. This is our prayer that your word would never leave our lips. That we would love your precepts and your statutes. That they would guide us away from sin and further penalty upon our Savior. God, that our lives would be would result in the praise and glory and honor at your return. 
Father, we ask your safety as we leave this place. Lord, that we would be fixated upon the grace you have given through your son. And Lord, that our celebration would be glorifying to you and edifying to each one of us here. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to New Life Preaching Podcast. Subscribe so you don't miss a single sermon. We invite you to our Lord's Day gathering at New Life Baptist Church Hallsville where we meet and worship 10.30 a.m. each Lord's Day.